you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 3 still. This is, uh, we're kind of moving through the book of Timothy, and uh, chapter 3 is about particular offices and structure of the church of Jesus Christ. And so um, this is not a typical <laughs> uh, edifying sermon necessarily, it's an instructional sermon on how God wants us to live out as our faith as believers in Christ. So I'm going to read this passage. We're going to be reading from verse 8 to 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. So it'll be on the screen. You can follow along with us. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of, faith, of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this is uh, some careful instructions that you've given us. And though it may, it may go against some of what the world believes or thinks about roles in the church, I pray that your word will speak to our own hearts. We'll trust your word, not our own impressions, not our own traditions, but what you have laid out for our church, for your church, for the church that you want to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Show us that now, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, in the Air Force, we had some core values. There were three mottos, basically. And one of them was service before self. It was, a, it was uh, meant to basically communicate that the mission is more important than the person. That you need to put the mission ahead of the person. That it doesn't matter who gets the credit, just get the mission done. Um... But the body of Christ needs the same kind of mindset, service before self, getting the mission of the gospel done. We need people who seek to serve God over their own ambitions. And that's what deacons do, which is what we're talking about this morning. God's servants in the local church, we call them deacons. And I'll explain that as we go through. This, this set of passages from, from chapter 2 basically verse 8, all the way through the uh, verse 13 of chapter 3, this is kind of the context. Paul is instructing Timothy, who is a, the pastor of the church in, in the city of Ephesus, and he is giving them word, him words and structures to set up so that the church can function more efficiently and more appropriately in God's eyes. And so we have to kind of think about all of this together. We take Sometimes we pull these out and we talk about those particular topics, but we need to understand that from verse 8 all the way of chapter 2, all the way to the verse 13 of chapter 3. They're kind of one big group. See, Paul didn't have chapters in his letter to them, okay? That was something man added later in about 1200 A.D. So he didn't have a break like we have in our, our Bibles. He was talking one fluid thing, one fluid theme to Timothy. And he'll speak to a whole bunch of other issues when we get to the rest of this letter. But today, the, the text is really where God instructs Timothy to recognize and install deacons for his church. 
And God desires to set apart certain people to lead by serving. And that's an interesting concept we think of. Lead by serving and ministering to his local church. So the question we kind of want to answer today is, who may serve as a deacon for the church? And what are their qualifications? Well, God gives us expectations right here, as well as kind of the results of the rewards of what it means to serve God well. So we're going to look at the necessary traits of a good deacon first, verses 8 through 12. And I want to read those verses again because I want you to hear them fresh before I start talking about them. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You got the last verse for free. I just got going. Okay, so the Greek word for deacon is called diakonos. That's the Greek word. Now, you're, you're, you've had your Greek lesson for today. But this word is actually used over a hundred times throughout the New Testament. But there's only three places, two places really, where the word is actually translated in our English Bibles as deacon. Right here in this section of verses and the first verse of Philippians. And that's the only time it's ever translated. So what the word really means, the other, the other 97 times that it is used, is server, service, and minister, distribute. It, it has all kinds of verbs and nouns that it's used for. So it's only used as a deacon right here. We only get this translation, which is really what they call a transliteration. We just took diaconus and made it sound like an English word, deacon. So we just kind of borrowed the word, really. But Paul right here, he's being very specific. He's setting this service apart as an officer of his church. That's what God is telling him. It's a representative of the official capacity for the church. And how he uses this word implies that it is a formal office that needs to be set apart by the church. It must be one that the church follows. Now, as we look at this passage, we also need to pay attention to two more words that are in here. Likewise, in verse 8, and also in verse 10. First of all, likewise, in verse 8, he ties the deacon office to the elder office we talked about last week in the previous verses in, in uh, chapter 3, 1 through uh, 7. So likewise, we're going to set deacons in place. Now, why did he, he put that here in the deacon phrase? places because the church at Ephesus already had elders. They already knew how that process worked. Paul set that up before he left the, the, the city after being there for three years. So they had elders, but he says likewise. And then in also, in verse 10, he's connecting also to the fact that just as the deacons are being tested, so did the elders need to be tested. And we know that to be true. It's just as necessary for the overseer in the pastor position as well. So we need to look at deacons as kind of with the same intention. God intends for them to be a separate office in the church. And like I said, for, for just contextual understanding, this church at Ephesus had already had elders in place. And if you go back to Acts 20, Paul addresses the elders. And you can see where he set them up in charge of the church at Ephesus. <clears throat> Timothy wasn't put as a pastor till later. 
So deacons exist, but they've never been formally introduced in Scripture until this point as officers, okay? And I know some of you are thinking of Acts chapter 6, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but the word deacon isn't even used. The Greek word is not even used for deacon in that whole passage. So it's an interesting um, thing we've gotten into. <clears throat> but there was, a, there was a council of elders that tested Timothy, and we see that in <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 14. So the reason that there's these particular qualities, and some of the traits are a little bit different than, than for the elder and overseer, is because a deacon is going to have direct contact with the congregation. He's going to be there kind of the hands-on to help people when they need it. The elder and overseers will do some of that, but not as, not as much as a deacon. So there's some different traits that he puts on here because deacons are right in the midst, midst of a person's life. So we're going to kind of compare the, the similar and the different traits. First of all, I want to talk about the similar ones. So the ones we see here in the passage, respectable, that's one like the overseer. Temperate with alcohol, doesn't drink too much. Doesn't drink too much, doesn't become uh, over, uh, possessed by the, by the use of alcohol or any other altering substance. Uh, not greedy, not blame, uh, blameless, above reproach is what the word they use for the elder. He's a one-woman man. He's a husband of one wife. He only has eyes for his wife if he has a wife. He must manage his family well. He must be devoted to the faith with a clean conscience. All of those are the same traits that an elder, a pastor, should have. And again, like we said last week, nobody's perfect, but we're trying to pursue that. So that's who we're looking for, people that are pursuing these kind of traits in their life. Now, here's the different traits that are listed here for deacons. Not hypocritical. Now, we would expect elders to not be hypocritical, too. And yes, we're supposed to do that, too. That's what Scripture commands. But really, this word means double-tongued in this particular instance. It's not the, the Greek word for hypocrite. It's the Greek word for double-tongued or speaking two ways, meaning someone who tells you one thing and tells someone else another, who says one thing and does another. Deacons can't be that way. That's, that's, the, that's what that word hypocritical means. And we'll talk some more about that in a minute. And there's no requirement for a deacon to be able to teach or exhort in scripture no requirement now they can they can have that ability if god so gives them and, and blesses them with them but that's that's the two real main differences and i'll explain them all in a moment and then we come up to this verse in verse 11 a verse that has caused a lot a lot of discussion debate and discord about women or about wives and there is about five different ways that I've found that this has been translated, I mean interpreted. Well, let me read verse 11 again to you, just, just 11. Wives, too, or also, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. So, there's two ways to translate the Greek word there. Why It can be translated, it's the same word, but it can be translated wives or women. And most English translations have it translated as wives. So, the question kind of begs is, are they talking to the wives of the deacons or are they talking to women in general? And that's where the confusion kind of gets started. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I'm going to try to help clear up some of the confusion, at least from what I found out this week as I studied this passage a little deeper than I have in the past. Um, we really don't know exactly what Paul's probably trying to say. He used the word that's for women and wives right here, but I want to explore the interpretation together. And again, if you have any question about what I say, 
or you don't understand what I'm saying, come ask me, because I may have said something that I didn't mean to say. You may have understood something I didn't mean you to understand. Um, so come talk to me. But the first question I kind of want to answer is, why does Paul address women right here in the middle of this passage, but he never talks about them over in the elders' passage? If you look back in, in verses 1 through 7, there's nothing about women in that passage. Nothing. It's only about men, men being pastors. That's a, a question I've had. So whether we're going to translate the woman, the, I mean the word wives or women, women aren't allowed in that task, which is another reason why Paul didn't address it there. Women aren't allowed to be part of the task of overseeing, spiritually having authority over the church. And so it's, he's really trying to avoid the confusion of what he said back in chapter 2, verse 12, which is that women are not to have spiritual authority over men. So he's trying to prevent you know, confusion. And that's always a good thing when you're preaching and writing letters and other stuff. But the elders' wives, they should have these qualities, okay? Let me make that clear. The, the, wife, the elders' wives, the pastors' wives are not off the hook when it comes to these kind of qualities. But, of course, none of us as Christians are off the hook for any of these. We're all supposed to be pursuing these. But they're not participating directly in the ministry of their husband as, an, as a pastor because it is strictly reserved for males, now, I know that probably doesn't go down real well with some of you, but we can talk about it for sure. The next question I want to kind of answer is, why does he never call them deaconesses? Why does he never call them a deaconess if he's talking about women being deacons in this verse? Well, first of all, there was no such word for deaconess in the Greek. Not till 100 years later that someone came up with it. So there's no such word. That's why he didn't use it. One reason. Second reason is that he is using the word diaconus, deacon, so deliberately in the rest of the passage. In the, in the beginning before this, the verses 8 through, through 10, and then after this, verse 12, he's using that word so deliberately, he must have a purpose. Why is he using it? I think if he intended for women to be deacons, he would have said, let them serve as deacons. He would have said it that simple. If he really, really, really wanted women to serve in the office of deacons, he could have said it that way. I don't know why he didn't. But it does kind of raise a question of why he worded it the way he did. <clears throat> and the next question is, does he intend for women to be official deacons in the church? And it's not 100% sure, one way or the other. There's just really no clear... because. I read about four different commentaries, and I got two and a half different opinions. Um, so um, we're going to talk about that a little more in a minute. But he goes right into the next verse, and this is one of the reasons why I'm not sure he was wanting a female deacon in the church. He goes right into the next verse and talks about husband of one wife, verse 12. Now, why didn't he say wife of one husband? I don't know. Um, it was a very patriarchal system back then, but he never mentions about wives being committed to their husbands. So does he intend single women only to be considered deacons? I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know. The females here are either... So I, my conclusion here, and I'm going to give you my conclusion. You can take it for what it's worth. But my conclusion here is that females here in this, in this passage, in this verse, their, their wives assisting their husbands in the office of deacon because the office of deacon is very much involved in people's lives. I mean, in some nitty-gritty stuff. And so here's what uh, my perspective on it. 
we guys need help with some of these things, okay? We need some help. There are some very delicate things in the, in the, in the women's side of the house that we need a, women's, a woman's touch for. We're, we need women available to assist also. So they're either the wives that are assisting their husbands, or it could be women that are set aside for assisting in these particular matters. Like I said, it's not, it's not really clear, super clear. So why would women be needed or allowed to be deacon officers for the church? Well, like I said, there's many situations that a woman's touch and her perspective is necessary. And we guys don't have it. So it's good to have someone of the, of the right gender able to minister and help in this situation. Some of these situations. Now, he mentions particular traits that he wants these women to have or these wives, if he's indicating the deacon's wives. He wants them to be respectable. Same trait as he wanted for the deacon, same trait as he wanted for the overseer and the elder. Be respectable. Not slandering, and I'm going to talk a little more about that in a minute. Self-controlled, same trait. Faithful in everything, same trait. So there's not a lot of difference there, but he specifically picks out the women there and, and, or the wives, whatever they may be, and delineates there. And if you want some help on understanding what he's trying to tell women how you should act, you go back up to chapter 2, verses 9 through 13, and he tells women how to act there and how to behave. So I want you to hear me, though, for, as I finish this part up. The deacon passage here is never meant to divide us, okay? It shouldn't divide us. It's never meant to create division or discord in a church. The focus of this passage is officers who are set aside and set apart for serving the congregation and the community on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. That's the purpose of it. I want you to hear that clearly. The traits, the characteristics of a deacon, they need to be faithfully exhibited. They need to be something you can tell someone is pursuing in their life. That, that they're not just sitting back and enjoying the accolades or just enjoying being a Christian. They're pursuing these traits. But like I said before, no one's perfect. And you will find deacons and you will find pastors, this one included, that doesn't always do everything exactly right. I try to do it, but it doesn't happen sometimes. So, so whether you're a deacon, whether you're an elder, or whether you're a janitor in the church, each of us are called to serve others. Okay, that's, that's the calling. We're called to serve others. 1 Peter 4.10, Peter tells the church he's writing to, each of us should use whatever gift we've received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its many varied forms. So that's our purpose. That's not to one particular office or anything. Peter's writing to the whole church. Use your gifts, your abilities, your talents to serve God through the church. It's very clear. You know, Moses, when he, when he was taking down all the details of how to build the tabernacle, there's a lot of details. If you've ever read Exodus chapter uh, 30 through, no, 25 through 30, wow. Detail after detail after detail of how God wanted the tabernacle built, the tabernacle decorated, the, the gold, the wood, everything. He waits till chapter 31 to tell Moses that he's gifted somebody with the ability to do all of this. I'm sure Moses is just copying and going, I have no, well, he's going this way. I have no idea how in the world I'm going to have this happen. But God provided somebody even before he knew what was going to be provided. He just knew he had to do it, but somehow he had to figure it out. And, he, and God showed up. He, he gifted Ohol, oh, 
oh, I shouldn't even try it, Oholiab and Bezalel to be able to do these things. That's easy for me to say, not really. God gifts believers for service, okay? And, and five chap- six chapters before Moses knew that there was somebody gifted to do this. But he was trusting God to help provide that. Everybody in the church is important to the church. We're supposed to all be serving in some capacity. And we need the faithful to obey that call. Now, I want to flesh out some of these traits for you a little bit and maybe help you understand some of the traditions that have got us probably in a situation we're not used to. or We're kind of now going, well, why do we do this and why do we do that? And I'm not going to probably answer all your questions, okay? So if you have one that I didn't answer, come see me. I'd be glad to try to talk, to you, talk you through it. I may not even have an answer. First of all, respectable. What does it mean to be respectable or worthy of respect? That your past behavior, your past actions, your past demeanor, how you treat people, shows that you are a follower of Christ, shows that you are someone who can be trusted with needs and with help. Not hypocritical, which means not double speak. His word is his bond. He doesn't tell you one thing and do another. He doesn't say one thing to one person and one thing to another. He, keeps, he doesn't have a forked tongue, as the Native Americans would say. In the interpersonal interactions with people, he never gives two stories or contradictions. That's what don't being hypocritical is. Not too much wine. I hope that's self-explanatory. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk at all. Don't let it, and, and the word here actually means don't be devoted to it or occupied by it. I mean, don't let it consume you. Don't let it be your hobby. <laughs> don't be excessive or immoderate with it. Not greedy. You know that it is commanded in Scripture about 23 times in some form or fashion not to be greedy. You think God's serious about that? I think he is. 23 times he tells people, not just deacons and elders, don't love money. Don't love money because the love of money is the root of all evil, and it will lead to evil, and it has led to evil. So don't be greedy. And then he gives one that he words a little differently than we've seen in the past, holding the mystery of the faith, having a firm grasp on their salvation and devotion to Christ. Now, what's the mystery? Why does he use the word mystery? Well, the word mystery is how Paul has related to his, his Jewish brothers who wondered what God was going to do to bring the Messiah about. Well, the mystery is revealed. The cat's out of the bag, and Paul tells them the mystery is Jesus Christ. That's the mystery solved, the mystery revealed. And so the gospel now revealed to the Jews and the world is how God planned to save souls. When he told Eve and Adam that there would be a, a man come one day and crush the head of Satan, now we know. It was a mystery back then. Genesis chapter 3, it's not a mystery anymore. But this is what he wants the the deacon to hold on to, that ministry of the faith with a clear conscience, his moral self-consciousness renewed by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit because of Christ. It's not not just a good guy, okay? It's not just someone who looks good and, and pays his taxes. It goes further than that. His conscience is clear about what he believes in Jesus Christ. He doesn't doubt. He doesn't second guess it he doesn't meander and 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 is not mealy-mouthed about it he knows exactly what he believes and he needs to hold on to that because you know deacons interact in close quarters with people they need to know for a fact that his allegiance for christ is the the most supreme thing in his life and he keeps his words and he keeps his actions pure another trait he mentions here is family leadership family leadership that was important to the elders as well And you can go back to that passage and see, being a good father 
and a good husband, if you have a family, have a wife, being a good father and a good husband, God is very serious about his design for the family. Regardless of what the world out there is saying about it, it is, it is the nucleus of God's world that he created. It is his design. We are the apex of God's creation as human beings, and he put us together. So he's serious about his design for the family. And uh, he doesn't mean it just for the elders and, and deacons. He means it for everybody. And then we get to the, the, the traits in, in, that are in the women, for the women, and he's respectable, same kind of trait. Uh, you go back to verse uh, chapter 2 and talks about modesty, decency, good sense, good works, faith, love, holiness. But it's the same as the men, and it's evaluated by their past behaviors as well. Not being slanderers. Now, this is the only one that really jumps out at you and going, well, he didn't say that about the men. <laughs> well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be careful here, but I'm going to talk about it. Don't be double-tongued like the men. It's kind of similar to that. But this gets a little more specific. The word in Greek for slanderer is actually the same word we use for the devil, Diablo. And so don't be the devil. That's really not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying don't slander. Don't, and that's, that's what that word means, slander. It doesn't mean devil, but they use it for that. She must be able to keep her speculations, her ideas to herself in all conversations. That's one of the things that, that can happen. And, and as they used to say in the military, loose lips sink ships. Well, it's the same thing in the church. Sometimes you've got to keep secrets. You've got to keep confidentiality. You can't let your lips betray the trust that you've done, that you've been given. Be self-controlled. Be discreet, sober-minded, sensible, required for all believers. It must be seen in her. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Faithful in everything. Actions display faith according to James. And Proverbs 31 will help in that, faithful in everything. Faithful devotion to Christ can be seen by deeds done, the good works that Paul mentions in chapter 2, verse 13. And everything in all she does. Proverbs 31 will help you with that one too. So I'm going to come back to why slanderer. Why slanderer? Why is it not in the men's trait? Well, the personal tendencies of the female persuasion of women is something we need to kind of look at here a second. And it's not a negative intent, okay? I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm not being negative. Uh, but, but women talk more than men. We do. They do. I'm married to one that does. Talks a lot more than I do. And that's not a negative thing, guys, okay? They ask questions. They're curious. They dig for details on things. And uh, we, we just sort of take things at face value. And so it's easy to get involved in the conversations and sometimes, you know, verbal processing. If you haven't heard that term, it just basically means they got to talk things out, you know? Um, one marriage guy said that women have 50,000 words a day and men have 10. And usually by the time we get home from work, we're done with our 10. And they've got 40,000 left. Paul wants her to protect herself, okay? We can laugh about this, but Paul wants her to protect herself, the church, and the one she is helping. So don't spill the beans. Don't talk. Keep your lips sealed. I think that's one of the reasons why he put that in there for the women. Not that, not that they would. But there's a tendency to talk, and that's a good thing. Like I said, I, I learn a lot because my wife talks to people and asks questions and digs around and gets information, and it's great. It's great. It makes a wonderful marriage. 
I'm serious. Everybody looking over at her. I am serious. Our first date, she told me exactly what she wanted for dinner. I was like, I love that. Then I didn't have to guess which restaurant to take her to. So I like it. Anyway, to, to wrap this part up, now some of you may know and remember that I have said probably to you personally that I thought maybe there was no, nothing wrong with having female deacons, the actual deacon office, if you have a group of elders that are leading the church. That's, that's what I had kind of my own beliefs from reading this. But like I said, I hadn't studied it as much. And this week I learned a little bit more about this passage that I talked about before of how he puts that, that passage, between, that verse between using the word deacon and he never uses that word when he talks about the women. So I apologize if you have, I've disappointed some of you that my, in my opinion, a, wor- a woman can serve as a kind of a deacon liaison. And if our church decides that we need to appoint people for that, but I also think that the wives of deacons, if the, if the deacon has a wife, the wife of a deacon needs to be, have these traits. And she will be helping him because there may be situations he gets into that he, get, he needs to help and he needs her assistance. But assisting the deacons with the delicate encounters in case-by-case situations, it's a very, very critical need. And so... I believe that there may be some, some, some room there, but I'm kind of modifying what I've said in the past. And if, you know, I apologize if you're upset about that, um, but I want to be correct. I want to be careful with the men and women working on such delicate matters together. It may be improper in Paul's thinking. I don't know. He's very careful about that. You know, uh, if, if it's, you know, men and women working together, I don't know. He's not, he's not clear on that. He's leaving it kind of open and... Um, we just have to pray through it. And my heart still tells me that women are so vital to Christ's church, we need them for some of these kind of things. We need them for these jobs, and we need to probably set some apart if we don't have enough that are involved in that for that kind of ministry. I believe that choosing deacons also must include their wives a little bit because of this situation. That we need to ask some, some hard questions of the wife as we pick male deacons. So... But let me tell you, and let me wrap this part up. Men and women both have a part to play in the roles of the church and in the roles of deacon ministry. I believe that with all my heart, that there has got to be both genders represented in this this ministry. And so um, setting them apart is important to the health and reputation of the church. And I'm not going to go into details about what particular situations, but we can talk if you want about them. Now, I want to talk about one tradition that we've probably misused when it comes to deacons. Um, one of the things we've misused is ordaining them. And I'm a, I'm a personal fan of using the word ordain for just pastors and elders because it is such a high priority position in terms of spirituality. I believe it warrants such an event. And Paul tells us that, he, that Timothy went before a council of elders and they laid hands on him and prayed on him to be the pastor of Ephesus. So I think we may have applied the ordaining thing to the deacons because we just assume that. Now I know in Acts chapter 6 where they, got, they never used the word deacon, those seven men were set apart and, and the church prayed over them, but they were set apart for a particular uh, ministry that was at a very volatile time of that church. I think that was more um, descriptive than prescriptive or more de- telling us of an event versus telling us what we should do uh, in that particular situation. So um, 
I think maybe, you know, we still need to set them apart, but I think sometimes, I think the ordaining word got us in trouble in some things. And we've done it for years. We've done it for years. And uh, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. The traditional motives were pure for this office and for this from the beginning. And let me say it clearly too. None of us have sinned if we've done this this way. It's, this is not a, a, an issue of sin. It's maybe an issue of just misapplying scripture, not being clear on it. Who knows? Um, but we're going to pray and we're going to talk about, you know, how we can, we can rectify that. Deacons are vital and the office is meant to bind us together by serving Christ. Okay? And that's what the office is put there for. And we don't need to be divided. It's meant to care and love others with our hands and our feet. So pray about that. Paul gives the clear commands for the deacons because all who serve Christ will be rewarded. And that's where we're going to transition to this last verse, the reward of selfless service. Verse 13, he gives us it clearly. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know, the scripture is full of verses that tell an elder or a pastor that he's, he's doing a, a work for God. He's doing a work that's going to be rewarded, that, that he's laying up treasures in heaven. I mean, there's a whole bunch of verses about that for a pastor, an elder, an overseer, and that we should seek the reward of God and not man. But there's not any for deacons except right here. This is really the only place you see it. This is the only place that talks about the office, too, primarily. But Paul intends to use these truths that are in scriptures for everybody, really, for everybody's going to receive a reward depending on what you do down here. And he wants to heighten the motivation for serving as a deacon because it's a thankless job sometimes. Now, why, why for deacons and not elders? Like I said, there's plenty of verses for elders. Paul's encouraging the deacons to fight the good fight. And that fight is going to get tiring in that, in that realm of service. There's so many things that, that a church deacon could be asked to do and asked to help with that are tough. They're spiritually tough, they're emotionally tough, and sometimes they're physically tough um, when they're assisting with the needs of the church. Then he talks about their standing, their boldness, and their faith. Well, I want to explore these a little bit as we wrap this up. Serving, he says, serving well, they will experience those things. Well, serving well, what does that mean? That means that needs were met with the right spiritual emphasis. Needs were met and, and people didn't go hungry, people didn't go in need, people had things done, and the deacon didn't create a larger problem because of his own personal agenda. His devotion was selfless and an exalted Christ. That's what that means, serving well. His devotion was selfless and exalted Christ. Now, he will have a good standing, Paul says. The standing here points to the eternal treasures I talked about a minute ago. He's laying up treasures in heaven by what he's doing here. Treasures in heaven by his actions. He's in good standing with God. He's found faithful in Christ's eyes. and He expects to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And then boldness in the faith. Well, it means the freedom to speak about Jesus Christ to speak about him, to tell people about him. It carries with it kind of a confidence in, in what he believes as he serves. It comes in Christ Jesus through the faith in Jesus and the deacon's service, okay? As we serve, our faith will grow. I, th I think some of, sometimes we miss that opportunity is when we just sit in the, in the church and, and soak up what I'm saying or what you're reading or what you're doing, and we never go out there and actually serve in the name of Jesus Christ, I think our faith gets a little faint-hearted, 
Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, if you deny yourself, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Denying yourself, man, that is not something popular in our current culture. Denying what you want, denying your ambitions, your preferences, your agendas to serve Jesus Christ. The Good Samaritan did. You remember the story. It's a parable. We don't know that it actually happened, but Jesus told it, so it makes it something we should pay attention to for sure. He gives us a great example of this. He risked a lot stopping and helping that beat-up man. And we don't think anything about that now. Well, maybe we do because we don't know if it's a really hurt someone or whatever. But he risked a lot stopping to help that man who had been robbed. We need to risk a lot to help those who need Jesus Christ. Because we all want to hear Christ say on Judgment Day, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to hear that. At least I hope you do. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to focus on that. Because there's a lot down here that's just not good and not going to help keep you going. So you know what brings a smile to God's face? Is when we tell and show others the gospel of Jesus Christ by our actions and our words. That makes God smile. Because he said, doing my will is to believe in my son. You want to please God? You want to do his will? Believe in his son. Trust in his son. When we give out cups of cold water, as Jesus said, it must include the truth of the gospel. We must be able to share the gospel some way through that act of benevolence. It doesn't mean we get any results from that, but we've got to sow the seeds. That's the act of a deacon. That's the act of anyone serving in the church. If we serve others without Christ as our motivator, we're just doing felt needs. We're, we're basically a soup kitchen with no real lasting influence on anybody's life. We missed the reason why Christ served others, okay? When Christ was here, he healed, he fed, he raised, he exercised demons for the purpose of showing himself to be the Messiah. And the Messiah came to save souls, not just make people feel warm and fuzzy inside. He came to do that. And that's what deacons, they must serve others with the intention to tell others about Jesus. About Jesus. The love of Christ must shine. The love of Christ must shine in our hearts into the dark corners of the world. It has to. If we don't do that, we're just feeding the the, the hungry and, and not really doing what deacons and what Christians are supposed to do. So, in summary, Paul gives Timothy the office of deacon, tells him, hey, this deacon is for the edification of the church, and it will edify their souls. And some of you here are deacons. You've been deacons in other churches, maybe. Um, And so there are wives here that have served as deacon wives, and thank you so much for that. But we need deacons. We really do. As our church has, has lost a few in the years we've been here, we need deacons. And God gives us this office for the focus of the church's care and feeding. Deacons feel the needs that the elders, the pastors, see. That's what deacons are for. And one way to describe it is the the pastor serves by leading the church, and the deacons lead by serving the church. That's the difference between their roles, but they work hand in hand. They've got to be symbiotic. Both are very vital to the, the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. So let's pray right now in our time of pastoral prayer. Let's take time to pray 
for deacons to, to be found, for elders to be found, as we work toward this, it's, it's not going to be a fast process, but we're going to work in this direction. Ask God to bless us with more people to serve at these positions. And men, I would challenge you to ask God if you're supposed to be one of these. Make yourself available for these ministries. So let's take a time of pastoral prayer, a time of silent prayer. We'll pray for a little bit, and then I will close us out.